to the Better Golf Podcast, powered by Win Daily Sports, where betters go to bet better. Here are your hosts, Tee Off Sports and Sticks Picks. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another week of Better Golf. I'm your host, Tee Off Sports, and as always, I am joined by my man, Sticks Picks, to break down this week's Wells Fargo Championship. If you aren't doing so already, you can find both of us on Twitter at those handles or give us a follow at Better Golf Pod. But I don't think we need much of an intro for this show today. Webb is in the field. Day is in the field. Seamus, who continues to ignore us, is in the field. This sort of feels like a major championship to me, and I'm excited to go through the board with you today, man. Jason Day is back, and Webb Simpson will probably let everybody down once again but let's get after it i'm excited for this tournament i'm excited to see this course play i know they made some renovations for since uh what was it like five years ago they played but i'm excited to see this course because i think it'll be tough and more of a uh, just straight ball strikers course and i think that'll be fun to watch really quickly before we get started how did you do last week for dfs embedding DFS, I made one lineup. I did not do 150 last week because I really hated the field and it was pretty much the whole to John Rahm or not to John Rahm. I did John Rahm, but my two uh, 6K guys that I needed because I went Rahm and Finau, which worked out great, but the rest was pretty, pretty shitty. So um, no good there. But on the betting side, it was a very light card for me, like I said in the show, but I did profit 0.8 units. Nothing to write home about there. A lot of that was on the uh, Tony Finau top 40. Charles Howell and then Aaron Rye. So nothing in the outright market. I didn't really play many, but yeah, um, profit is profit. So I will move on because I think this should be a very good week for the show. Overall, seems like you and I are very well aligned and I really like the price that I got on a lot of these tickets. So do I. And I just really quickly want to talk about the NFL draft for two seconds because that remains the single most profitable event. Of oh, the entire yeah. Year I was going to say, yeah, that was, I was having some drinks when I, uh, I was the one that posted the better everything things, <laughs> but it was hilarious. And we did get a troll in there saying that it was a, a losing ticket from the start, but you know, shout out to anybody else who took it. Cause Spencer, it was a great, great job on the uncover there. And just so much value that ticket just kept going shorter, shorter and shorter and shorter. And the plus 300 that you posted about was out there for hours. So yeah. like literally half the day, if not longer than that. So, um, you know, shout out to you for looking out for all the followers and everybody like that, because that is pretty much the motto of the show is to find value and to educate. So we certainly did that on uh, on that ticket. So great job. And I know you hit other ones, too. So <laughs> I'll let you get into that. Yeah, I think everything that I mentioned on the show, for the most part, came through all the Derek Stingley props that we mentioned on the show hit. Uh, I was telling people to bet it under seven and a half for anybody that was asking me, like I had tickets under 12 and a half, 11 and a half. I had them in the top 10. I had them under nine and a half, under seven and a half. Obviously when Houston takes them at three, that's just the ultimate pick there. Cause that hits the Houston ticket also. But uh, the big wager, as you mentioned, Nick, that was Houston taking a defensive back at three. That was a nice win for both of us. I ended up connecting on a few other decent size props like Zion Johnson at 16 to one to the chargers at pick 17 and under three and a half quarterbacks. I did mention over five and a half wide receivers that came in by 18 picks. I think that was just free money. It would have been an all time great betting event if Thibodeau could have gone second or Jamison was picked inside the top 10, but it was well worth all the time I invested into that. As far as golf was concerned, I really like where my model has been at recently. We aren't necessarily having any massive scores, but another plus 1.63 units to the bankroll for plus 33.325 on the year. It wasn't a large card by any means, but three and one on the pre-tournament head-to-heads. The majority were no sweat victories. I narrowly pulled out a win in the placement market thanks to Alex Smalley hitting a top 20 at plus 270. Finau's run on Sunday secured his top 40 at minus 150. And I just want to say that all three times we have gone to higher juice placement bets, not only have the wagers won, but they have finished first, second, and second. And I am adding that Rory top 20 at the Masters to that mix. But I love how we're seeing the board when we do dip into that range. Yeah, I absolutely hate taking that kind of juice. But when I think what your model have him at like minus 195 or minus 200, I think. Yeah, I had him in the minus 200 something range. Yeah, I was at minus 190. So the minus 150 is still 40 points of value there. I usually stay away, but you talked me into Fino so much last week. So tip of the cap to you. But yeah, that was just a really good price to get, even though it's laying, you know, 50 cents pretty much. But yeah, our goal is to slowly build the bankroll and be left standing in the green year after year. That's what we try to do on this show. It's 
you know, whether it comes from football wagers on a golf show or, or the golf wagers that we do, or just if we can help push you guys in the right direction, that's what we're here for. But anything else you want to talk about before we get started on the Wells Fargo? No, sir. Let's run it. So TPC Potomac, 7,124 yards, par 70 bent grass screens. For those of you that like to look at course history, please note that the event is typically held at Quell Hollow, but we'll be on the sidelines this year since the venue is hosting the President's Cup. The two PGA Tour contests over the past handful of years that you would want to use for your research would be the Quicken Loans in 2017 and 2018. I am not weighing any of those results on the surface in my model, just meaning the course weight is a zero, but I did find the statistical breakdown from those two appearances to tell quite a strong story. I will get into my thoughts on that in a second, but Nick, what did you notice about the property and what did you weigh statistically to try and gain an advantage? Ball striking, baby. You need to be a magician with irons. You need to be accurate off the tee. And I, if you miss the green regulation, you need to be good around the green. So just everything with a iron or wedge in your hand, that is all I care about this week. I'm not really concerned about putting. Again, if it goes like a head-to-head in a DFS lineup, and I'm like I'm between player X and player Y, I'm going to go with the guy that's a better putter if they rank closely. But other than that, it is just ball striking and not getting in trouble off the tee because it is going to be a tight, narrow course with a lot of issues outside of the uh the fairway thick rough a lot of trees water everything you name it it is a ball strikers course that is all i care about i'm not going to overthink it a whole lot yeah there aren't many courses i have handicapped that have had such a strong corollary between the two specific factors nick just said i've been calling it the epitome of one two golf in all my written work but what i mean by that is tpc potomac accentuates accuracy in all avenues thanks to its narrow landing areas and smaller than average greens the first step of that combo is to make sure you find the short grass off the tee. The rough does make an impact, and it played as one of the more penalizing courses for those that missed the fairway. It's one of the reasons why the venue yielded a robust 6.4% increase when it came to the dispersion of scoring and strokes gain off the tee during those two years. And the ability to produce mid-iron production into these smaller surfaces will be equally as important as nearly 68% of second shots come from 150 yards and beyond. The surface is firm and fast. You aren't going to have a conducive blueprint for success when you're approaching out of the rough. And the bunkers are borderline diabolical. They almost mimic what you would see in Europe. I think in a way, modeling is almost done for us when we condense the information to feature two or three main factors into the mix. But I still found a way to put my typical twist to the data. I started with weighted T to green for 30%. I'm going to continue to use this statistic between 20 to 30% for the foreseeable future at most stops. If we take the 2017 and 2018 versions of the course, 71% of the strokes gain data came from tee to green. I reallocated those percentages to feature 35% off the tee, 50% approach from 150 yards and beyond, and 15% sand safe percentage. Strokes gain total at TPC properties for 10%. It's one of the easy measurements to fit into models where I do believe the production on these courses are marginally transferable from stop to stop. Strokes gain total on firm plus fast greens for 10%. That category is about as straightforward as it sounds. We get a unique variable from TPC Potomac that can be interpreted numerically. Weighted par 4 scoring 15%. 8 of the 12 par 4 stretch between 440 to 490 yards. There are 2 at 360 and 365. 1 at 412 and then a drivable par 4 measuring 299 yards. Total driving geared towards accuracy for 20%. I do want to go down into this a little bit because I think it's interesting to note. I made it a 60-40 split between distance and accuracy, which is rather even for as much accuracy as I want. But I prefer measuring courses for distance over accuracy for a multitude of reasons. Even when you look directly into difficult hit fairways, the specific statistic doesn't always measure correctly. And I realize you could look at fairways gained as a stat. But I assume everyone is doing that. I'd rather be different. There are a lot of ways to dive into accuracy. And I usually would just prefer to go the total driving route because I do think that players that hit the ball long and straight will still have an advantage this week. And then I finished with ball striking for 15%. That double dipped into some of the total driving numbers and also added in a 70% weight on GIR percentage to account for these greens. Top five of that model produced Corey Connors, Rory McIlroy, Keith Mitchell, Matthew Fitzpatrick and Joel Dahman. When running it for upside, it provided Connors, Abraham Answer, Paul Casey, Rory McElroy, and Russell Henley. 
Nick, I can only assume you fiddled with my model to make it so Webb wasn't number one this week, but give me your top five, man. Yeah, I had to take Webb out. Um, but Rory McElroy one, Keegan two, Corey Connors three, Mark Leishman four, and Matthew Fitzpatrick five, just over Russell Henley at six, and Tony Finau at seven. Uh, very quickly, what was the reason for why you liked Mark Leishman this week? TD Green, I guess. I mean, he he grades out very well there. Really, the only thing that's bad about his game is his putting. So he seems like a really good course fit. I don't love him as much. Like, I obviously, it's just statistics that I'm waiting in there and pushing him to certain, you know, a degree. But I don't know. I something about Leishman. I know he's going to be very popular this week. I'm not. I'm not feeling it. So I think I'd rather go to Russell Henley, who's cheaper and probably going to be more popular on drafting. So I'm not, you know reinventing the wheel here by any means but i think i like keegan bradley more than i like mark leishman this week and keegan is a much worse putter than leash is i was just curious to the answer to that just because i also I guess he's not much worse i'm sorry they're both bad but yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it's hard at that point but the one thing about leishman that i will give you when i look at weighted t to green uh on a normal course he would be 39th on this particular venue he is seventh for me so that's a 32 spot increase there I've been seeing the ownership going in the opposite direction lately. I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up coming in sub 10% when all is said and done, because mm-hmm. I agree with what you said, Nick, people are pivoting or gravitating towards Keegan Bradley, Russell Henley, Gary Woodland. I mean, of the group, Gary Woodland would be the one that I like the least. Uh, my favorite would probably be Russell Henley. And you, I could make an argument between Leishman and Bradley, but uh, I guess just to lead into that, anyone you were much higher on than their DK price? Yeah, um, I, I mean, it's not crazy, like not much higher, but Johnny Vegas and Seb Straka and Keith Mitchell seem to be blowing up my model. I know that Keith yeah. is very high on yours. I don't have him that high, but Johnny Vegas seems like I, I would probably play him at 8,500, maybe even 8,800. I, I have value up to that in my model. It says like he should be priced in the mid to upper eights. And he doesn't seem to be garnering a ton of ownership. It is Tuesday, so we got plenty of time for that to change. But I love Johnny Vegas this week. Keith Mitchell is terrifying me with the ownership, especially if we end up getting 15% plus on him. He's third overall in my model. Do you have an ownership percentage where you would be out on him? Yeah, above 15. Even at 15 seems a little bit scary, but he's got so much win equity at these sports books in comparison to others at that price. So it'd be between Vegas and, I mean, all three of those guys, but you can make a lineup with all three. And I think a lot of people will do that. So you're really not doing anything different there. But yeah, I've, over 15, I think I'd be out. 7,800 is way too cheap for him. I think once we reach 15%, I would probably be out also just because he has that negative trajectory for safety in my model, which he has the upside to win. And that's the one difference from some of these guys that we talk about, but I don't know if he's necessarily going to get to 15%. There's a lot of guys in this range that are getting popularity. Also, Uh, we talked a little bit off air about Seamus power. A lot of people want to be playing him. I don't have a problem with it, but I kind of think that between like Seamus, Siwoo, Cameron Young, Keith Mitchell, Brian Harmon, a a lot of those names I like Joel Dahman, think that there's going to be split kind of equally that all these guys come in at sub 15% and they're kind of between that 12 to 15% range. Yeah, I think you're right. It's a weird group for me this week. The players I have a value on in price are very highly owned kind of with what I was just saying there. It's been hard to find too many options where I'm bullish on a golfer across the board in all markets. I will start off by saying that Corey Connors at 22% is probably the definition of good chalk in my eyes. I think the same thing can be said about Matthew Fitzpatrick. I can't say anything negative about them. I'm not looking to take them out of my player pool, despite the ownership. Uh, As far as Connors is concerned, he's inside the top 26 in all statistics that I looked into, including (laughs) ranking first in ball striking. Um, Where did you have Connors before I move forward with this, Nick? Third. And there's, yeah, uh, I usually I would say ownership. And if it's not John Rahm, I'm going to be out, but. I you got I think you got to play him. There's just nothing bad about him. It's a perfect course for him. Like like I think he could. If Corey Connors were to win, I think he wins by multiple strokes just because he is just lights out with the ball striking, and not many others in this field really compare to that. And anybody who has access to offshore books, look at Corey Connors's head-to-head matchup against Rory McIlroy. Pretty close, isn't it? It's very close. Like Rory is a very small favorite. You can say $1,400 and the books are essentially telling you that there's not much of a difference between those two guys. 
And ironically, Connors is the second option at most of the books. So you're usually looking at Rory between nine to 10 to one. That's a little bit higher than what you will find at most of the legal shops. Uh, Connors is more in that 13 to 14 to one range. So uh, in, in head to head matchups, he's kind of plus, I think he was plus 119 at the book I saw. So uh, it's just hard to avoid Connors this week. Agreed 100%. And then I also like Keith Mitchell at 7,800. We talked about him. Joel Dahman at 7,600. Mitchell is going to be ownership dependent. Uh, There are red flags when it comes to volatility. But as I said, I'm going to be fine around the 10 to 14% range. Dahman feels like a good safe value that's likely to exceed his price tag in production. I like Russell Henley at 9,300. You could make a strong case to swap him and Hatton on the board. I have him about $600 too cheap. Martin Laird 7,100 is another chalky choice that is not only underpriced for DFS, but might be double of what is an accurate price for him at 130 to one on DraftKings. Similar sentiments with Lucas Glover at 7,200. Maybe he doesn't have as much upside as Laird does, but he's better than the price tag would indicate. And I certainly think you can make an outright wager on him. I do have that. Nick, I'm going to have you close your ears on this one but I have to do it. Webb Simpson at 8,100. As long as we continue to get these 8,000 and low $8,000 price tags on him and sub 10% marks, I'm going to keep biting like the fish I am when it comes to Webb. (laughs) I think Brian Harmon has hidden win equity at 7,700. And then the last two I will give, we've talked about one of these guys a little bit off the air. Uh, The other one I've mentioned a few times too, but Brendan Steele, 7,300. And Doug Gim, 7,800. If putting is as neutralized as I think it will be, there aren't many better ball strikers than Steele and Gim in the world. I know I just ran through a ton of names there, but any of those catch your attention. I see you pulling down your sticky notes of not playing Webb at uh, his this this week. And, you know, it's probably Webb week in your mind right now. But uh, <laughs> any thoughts on this? I like, I do like Webb at that. I figured he'd be much more like, I thought he'd be close to 9K or at his price and 15 plus percent ownership, and he's not. So I'm probably going to hate myself after I do it, but I think I'm going to be a little overweight on Webb. The thing about uh, what about Cameron Young? At If he's approaching 18 to 20 percent ownership, I think I'm going to be out on him. I know he's had just a really, really, really strong rookie year, but I, I don't know. I don't. Like he can go wayward off the tee. I know he's probably going to go less than driver a lot, especially with how long he is. He probably doesn't need it that much. But what are your thoughts on Cameron Young at 18% ownership if that's where it lands? I don't love the ownership. I kind of like the player at 8,000, though. Like, Me too. maybe I'm looking too much into this. And this is where the accuracy dynamic becomes a bit of an issue. So when we just look at accuracy in my two year model, which for him, this is going to be much less because he's a rookie on tour, he's 74th overall. But when I take total driving geared towards accuracy, he's 11th. So that's taking some of the distance into play. I think he's been okay in general at harder courses that are hard to hit fairways. The GIR percentage is the problem. I mean, if he's not hitting greens in regulation, it could be an issue for him. But I don't know. I I guess like from a DFS perspective, it's kind of hard to say that I want to play him when I'd rather take Keith Mitchell cheaper. I'd rather go up to Webb Simpson. I think that's Uh, where I'm at, yeah. The guy I wanted to ask you about, what are your thoughts on Siwoo Kim? Because Siwoo Kim is catching massive steam at the offshore books. I like Siwoo. I think we always like Siwoo. Something in our models always seem to like him. I mean, he's not great at par four scoring, and I think your model will reflect that as well as mine, but I don't know. I mean, he's hard to avoid. He's just been such a good ball striker this year, especially recently. He is hitting his irons very well, so I'm okay with it. I mean... He's not super sexy, but I feel like his ownership's going to go down, especially if Cameron Young's is going up so much. I think that they kind of correlate a, a little bit together. But him and Cam Young are both so bad out of bunkers. I could see one, like I could see him posting a, a three or a four over, getting a seven or a snowman, and that's it. And they miss a cut, and all that ownership's gone. So like one hole on a tough course and a low or a you know a high scoring venue, I should say probably going to be like a plus two or plus three cut line. I'd imagine if not, maybe a little lower. I, I don't know. I don't really know what to expect with the revisions they made on the course, but everything I read says it's going to be play pretty hard. So one blow up hole like that and you're done. So that's where I'm 
a little concerned unless i mean cameron young could rake birdies in like crazy but i don't know i'm just going on a rant i'm scared to play both of them i guess but i like Siwoo a lot more i'm scared of the entire eight thousand dollar range a little bit like if we go from paul casey down to i'm not playing paul casey i guess what's your thoughts on that with the back are we trusting it or you just let like let him prove it first because he is a, a really good course fit here my model likes him a ton if i take out recent data obviously but if i go over like who paul casey is as a player the last two to three years it seems like you know, he's as good of a fit as Johnny Vegas. He's as good of a fit as Webb Simpson. What do we do with Paul Casey? This might be a counterintuitive answer because we know Paul Casey doesn't win golf tournaments. I think if but, I was... But you to- don't need him to win at 8,800. If he could finish top five, and he's certainly capable of doing that, that is an excellent piece to a lineup who I don't think many people are going to play him because he's burned a lot. I mean, he was like 10% owned when he withdrew the other tournament that he, uh, he entered, but I don't know. I don't know what to do there. And that's a decision that will probably keep me up at night. What ownership percentage do you see on Paul Casey? 9%. Yeah, I have about 11 and a half percent. So we're in the same range there. What I was going to say, um, and and maybe you're correct. I mean, because you're correct. You don't need a top, I mean, a top five finish is perfectly fine. But I was going to say almost prefer him as an outright bet, just because if he pulls out of the tournament, then it doesn't ruin your entire DFS week. But I don't know what 9% you can get overweight very easily. Yeah, but that scares me. I like it. So I'm going to do, like I said, many times, if I'm overweight, I'm two X the field minimum. So for me to go 20% Paul Casey could be detrimental. So if anybody out there is listening and they know Paul Casey, let us know how the back's feeling. Is he good to go? I just, you know, I don't know. I'm scared. I think I, I think you said it best. I don't really have room for another outright on my card this week, but I feel like maybe I just play a little bit heavier on the outright just in case he does do something crazy and it doesn't kill me on in the DFS fade that it seems like I'm likely to go with, but I'm not sure yet. Before we move on, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't at least bring it up since we've talked about my other big three. That I, I have made. no interest in Jason day at all. Unfortunately, does he yeah. have any upside? Like where's he even at? In your mind? Kind of. Rolling. maybe. I don't even know where he's at. Where's he at? In my model, he's 68th. When I run, oh, ran God. it for upside, he's 42nd. Um, he's also Christ. 2% owned. I mean, 2% Jason Day. And I assume like, you know how, like, I don't use Fantasy National, but I have seen the Fantasy National site before. You know how that when they put it on there and they're like, anytime Tiger's in the field, just expect it to be like 10 or 15% more. Yeah. I feel like that's what the market does with Jason Day. Like he's probably 0% owned. And they're like, oh, well, T.O. Sports is going to go on air and talk about him. Let's at least make him 2.5% at this moment. I, 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 I don't know. His iron plays so bad. It's so what, bad. What does, he, what, what does he even do well? He doesn't even roll putts that much anymore either. I'll tell you what my model liked about him. So His name. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's one name. of the things. Fast greens, I guess. Maybe he can get hot yes. on the plastic. But if you're not hitting greens in regulation, it doesn't matter. But I guess if he's, you know, maybe he's a guy that hits 40 feet puts all day to save par and he just makes a cut at plus two so good luck jason you hit that on the head though that's exactly <laughs> what it likes about him it's strokes gain total on fast plus firm greens he's seventh he's been good at tpc properties he's good in my weighted par four which worries me a little bit and the total driving gear towards accuracy wasn't as bad as i was expecting it to be he's also third off the tee at short courses with hard to hit fairways plus rough now the proximity is horrible. Like he's 137th in this field from proximity, 150 yards and over. He's not hitting GIRs. Like it's going to be a problem for him, but I don't know. Like the way I view it is it's a boom or bust play at 2%. He likely probably misses the cup. But when I look at this $8,000 range, like I'm not necessarily wanting to play most of these players. I agree that Paul Casey has problems. I think Sergio right now is underweight. I mean, he's the one that you could be, most into um kim the offshore market likes him i kind of like seamus cameron young everybody seems to be playing him like if i'm gonna pick one it's probably webb simpson for me just because eight percent sounds really good but i don't know anytime i see a two percent jason day it intrigues me but uh let's move into some of the matchups and fades this week some of the books we're still waiting on matchups be sure to follow us on twitter at better golf pod I gave four last week on there that went three and one, but let me instead phrase this question like this. Any golfers you are out on completely for DFS and possibly might be trying to find a matchup against in the betting market. I think Gary Woodland, 
He is yeah. quite low on my model for, you know, in terms of the price, like the opposite of why I like Vegas and uh, Sep Straka so much. I mean, Sep scares me a little bit. Vegas, I feel like I could put 70% of my lineups on him and I'm going to be just fine. But um, I think Gary Woodland, I, I, I don't know. I just don't think this is the place for him. I would agree. I don't love the ownership percentage. I've seen him as a massive dog to everybody. My model seems to think that way also. And just to give a matchup on here that I did see at a legal book. And by the way, the early matchups are really bad. It's a bunch of golfers that I like against each other. And then all my fade candidates place one-on-one also like, that's not exactly what I want to see. We will see what comes into play at the offshore books later, but the one I'm going to give on here is cam Davis minus 120 over Dylan for I hope that has not moved. Uh, by the time I had given this out, that price was still out in the market. That's about two hours ago. I do see on the offshore books that that is picking up steam. So when this airs, if you still see a 120, I would put it in very quickly. But the thing is, for Telly, when I run my long-term numbers, he ranks 124th in this field for weighted tee to green. We've seen him struggle on, on firm and fast tests, placing 101st. And while we have seen massive improvements at courses with harder-to-hit fairways, the overall ball striking has remained questionable to the tune of 138th. Cam Davis isn't exactly the most trustworthy player himself from week to week and suffers some of the similar problems stylistically for this course. But fifth in this field for weighted tee to green is enough for me to trust the Aussie in a battle that I'm hoping we can win this before the Saturday round. Uh, I don't know if you're looking that up right now, Nick, to see what that price is on DraftKings, but anything that we have missed that you wanted to talk about before we get into the placements? No, I, I kind of like Abe answer over Hatton. But you got to lay minus one twenty six. I think on FanDuel is the best price for that one. I don't like Hatton. I guess that's someone I would. I don't yes, really want to pick on. Like again, I, I've said it many times. I don't like to pick on studs, but Hatton just doesn't do it for me this week. And Abe Answer is kind of the uh, the un the, the forgotten child, right? What's his price? He's twenty or ten six. So everybody's just going to go to Connors, right? I believe he's ten yes. six so yeah, or ten four. Ten four. I like Abe Answer a lot. My model seems to like him a ton. This is another really good course for him too. He, he'll struggle if he doesn't hit greens. His short game's always been kind of rough lately, but uh, he's a great ball striker. I think this is a really good course for him. So I kind of like him. I didn't really get there in the outright market because I didn't find the price I like, but I don't like Hatton. So for whatever that's worth. Yeah, kind of as I alluded to previously, like if you flipped Russell Henley and Terrell Hatton and you put Hatton at 9,300, I think that that's more of the range that he should be. And my model even thinks he should be lower than that. Now, there is some safety that for a head-to-head matchup, maybe against Anster, you could make that argument that Hatton makes sense there. I really like Abraham Answer this week for GPPs. I really like him for an outright. We can get into that a little bit when we do talk about the outright tickets that I have this week. But um, I agree with you. I think answer is the forgotten commodity here. He's probably, I mean, I'm trying to think he's probably the, he's the problem 35 is I really, to one. I do kind of like that. Yeah. I think that's a really good number. Like I, I like Connors. I like Fitzpatrick, but like Connors is number one for upside answer is number two. If you're telling me that it's over two times, the amount of people are playing Connors and answer. I don't mind. And I'm not saying to fade Connors. I'm going to play Connors, but I do think you can add a little bit exposure into the answer route here. And you kind of get a very similar golfer for this course. Yep. I am with it. All right, Nick, I will lead off again for us today. I feel like I will be doing my best Ichiro impression for us weekly by doing this, but Joel Dahman top 40 plus 125 points bet plus 120 FanDuel, minus 110 DraftKings. I'm not concerned about the ownership for DFS, but this is another potential route to consider if you are trying to gain exposure. The metrics look stout across the board, ranking within the top 38 in every category that I ran for the week. And it typically is that safety I am looking for when I select golfers at or near plus 100. None of that suggests that Domin can't give us a bigger result than a top 40. But the positive trajectory towards safety would have me marginally surprised if he missed the cut, which means we should be running this ticket for all four days. And as long as we have a chance, I think plus 125 on points bet makes a lot of sense. Any thoughts on Domin and who do you have for us first, man? Yeah, I love Domin. I think he's a uh, Damon Domin. I've heard his name pronounced so many different ways. But yeah, he seems super sharp offshore too. So I like to see that at some of the books that I respect offshore. But first play for me is going to be Sepp Straka, top 40, plus 125 on FanDuel. My price is 
proper at minus 110. DraftKings has them all the way down at minus 135. And the market overall is kind of hovering around that minus 115, minus 120 mark. Three straight top 30 finishes, six top 30 finishes in his last eight events, all in very strong fields. Um, number 12 overall in my model. He's very solid with the mid to long iron played. The only thing that worries me is uh, the par four scoring. And if he misses greens, obviously that could be um, an issue. And if he gets into bunkers, but I think just overall, I'll take that, that value on the market all day long with a guy that ranks quite high in my model and having a very, very good season. What are your thoughts on Straka in DFS? I see him at about 14% right now. It leaves much to be desired. I was very excited to play him this morning, and then I saw ownership come out. And I was like, uh, I, I just want Johnny Vegas. If Johnny Vegas is going to be a half or you know two-thirds less ownership than most of those guys in the 7K range, like Diamond, I think I could stomach it because he's more of like a safety piece. But I think Vegas and Sepp Straka, I mean, Sepp can go win a tournament. We've already seen that happen. But Vegas, I feel like he's so close many times. And this is like a perfect course. This is the highest I've ever had Johnny Vegas ranked. And it's a relatively good field, too. So to me, it's like this is when I should buy Johnny Vegas stock. So I think that's where I'll go. But obviously, Johnny Vegas, while I'm here, top 40 plus 115 on FanDuel. I think that's the real hammer kid play. I know I put out Sepp. I think I, uh, you know prematurely posted that one because i really like johnny vegas uh, more my model had him at minus 115 he's number 10 overall in my model and literally everything is perfect about his course fit for me and three straight top 30 finishes so in great form like set but yeah i think the dfs question i'm fine with sep i i don't know if he's going to be in my main lineup or not but johnny vegas sure as hell will be that's what's so hard about this when we directly compare vegas domin and straka I think if you made me power rank the three for upside, I would go Vegas, Straka, and Domin. Uh, if I went for safety, it would be Domin, I guess Straka, and then Vegas. I think it's very close between those final two. Like, I do think Domin is the clear-cut safest play of the group. Uh, and I would agree. And it's a tough thing to do with it, though, because at $7,600 uh, for Domin, you can take some of that safety in your lineup and be fine. I just don't know, like... I'm always more inclined to go boom or bust in plays when I play them. And that kind of leads me to want to play Jonathan Vegas at 7% when I think he has the most upside to him. Like Domin is more of a cash game play on the surface, but the price tag leads me to then want to also use him for GPP. So I guess for the time being, I will just consider Domin somebody that's playable in all markets. But I kind of agree with Nick here where, I think Vegas and I even think Brian Harmon, if you're willing to pay a little bit more of the ownership, I think those are the two guys with the real upside in this tournament that can potentially win this. I'm with it. Yep. All right. So Martin layer top 40, that's plus 175 points bet plus 160 on both DraftKings and FanDuel. I don't even hate playing this higher than a top 40, but I didn't see enough value in price at a top 30 to put that wager in. Laird has elite numbers in this field when combining total driving and weighted proximity for TPC Potomac, ranking fourth. And a lot of these players I am taking a shot on this week kind of have that same blueprint where they're not going to be good putters, but they're going to be really good ball strikers that are good with their mid irons. We've seen Kyle Stanley win at this course in the past. So Laird's 129th place total over a two-year sample size is right in that wheelhouse. I think Laird can win this tournament. I think there's different ways you can gain exposure to him. We'll talk about the outright ticket I have on him in a second, but where did you have layered ranked on your model? He was up there. Um, let me find it. Yeah, he's quite high. Let me give a number here. 24th. So pretty. he's above Tyrrell Hatton. So yeah, there you a go. lot of people are above Tyrrell Hatton for me. So layered is 14th overall. He is sixth for upside. Uh, he's going to be 13% owned. That's getting up there for a $7,100 golfer. Um, I don't necessarily think you have to put him into a lineup, but I just love his upside this weekend. I probably will use him for DraftKings, and and I do really like him for a top 40, and I like him also for an outright ticket. But what do you um, like next, Nick? Next play for me is going to be Mr. Streels, Kevin Streelman, top 40, plus 135 on FanDuel. My price is even money there. I don't seem to have a big edge on the market with any sports book. It seems like everybody's right around that plus 130 mark, but my numbers seem to really like Streelman despite the two missed cuts in a row. The course fit, the long iron ball striking, I think that, Streaming brings really fits the requirements of this course. So he should get back 
into his late March form there where he posted three straight top 25 finishes. Just seems like a course that fits Streelman really well, and I'll take that at plus money as long as there's 30 points of value and I had 35 on the ticket, so I'm with Kevin Streelman. But I don't know. I, I feel like I never have any success when I bet Kevin Streelman, so a little scared there. But does he rank... Like, do you have any win equity with Kevin Streelman and that Harmon, Vegas, Straka, and Joel Damon? Joel Damon. I'm going to say his name two different ways on the show in that range at all or no? I'd have him less than Vegas and Harmon. I would have him more than Straka and Damon. So I guess he kind of sandwiches right in between. He sits right. Definitely the answer I did not want to hear. I like him. I don't have anything against him. I, I, I think he makes sense for this course. Like, we talked about him a little bit off the air. I knew that you were on him for a top 40 ticket. I have nothing negative to say about him, but uh, all right. I guess I will leave the player that I know both of us are on. I will let you talk about him on this show. No, you do it. You do it. You you had a really good breakdown. I'm with it. Let's let's do it. Because I I love him too. I think this guy is a staple in my main lineup too. Yeah, so this is a play that Nick and I both like this week. It's Lucas Glover, top 40, plus 165, FanDuel, plus 130, DraftKings, plus 160 points bet. I keep putting the connection together between Glover and Laird, so it's only natural that I would want to add the American around the same price. I just mentioned Laird being fourth in this field when combining total driving and weighted proximity, and we actually have an improvement from there with Glover, who ranks third. I don't think Glover is quite as reliable on firm and fast greens. He also graded worse in weighted par four scoring, but it feels like a carbon copy between the two of Laird and Glover. And if I'm right with the way I weighed my model, which is going to be ball striking and just a complete takeaway of putting, I feel good about combining both of them together in all game types. And uh, Glover, as Nick just alluded to, is probably one of my favorite plays this week. I'll let you add on a little bit for why you liked him though. Yeah, I mean, he's number, what is he, number 19th in my model. He's deadly accurate off the tee. He got a massive bump up when I put the strong weights to mid and long iron play. The form's not bad. It's not great, so that's like a reason I didn't hammer kit him. Obviously, like I love Johnny Vegas or Sep, but um, it's a 50-point edge I have um, in my model. What is it, plus 165 on FanDuel? Item price at plus 115. DraftKings got him right in the middle there at plus 130. So for a 50-point edge, he's apparently the best value for me according to my model but the form was something that scared me off a little bit to not making the hammer kit play but i like lucas glover a great deal he should hit a ton of fairways a ton of greens and regulation and be just fine to, to make the cut and help your lineup at least on the safety aspect i don't think he's got winning upside here but i wouldn't be surprised if we finished top 20 i think i i did have value on the top 20 ticket as well I bet him to win the tournament. I kind of agree with you that I think that he is lacking some of the win equity in this, but I grabbed the number that I really liked and I didn't want to second guess the situation. He ends up winning the tournament and I go against my model because I have him 14th when I ran this for upside for a $7,200 golfer and a guy that I got over a hundred to one. I really like that. But uh, anybody else that you have this week before I run through the rest of this card? The only one I wanted your opinion on, I guess I have two honorable mentions. I really like Sergio at even money, but he's does not make me feel as safe as Finau last week, despite it being minus 150 on Finau. But that is uh, even money on FanDuel. And then honorable mention, Kevin Chappell, three to one on FanDuel. Any thoughts there? I know he's not quite as high on your model, but it seems to do most things well that I was looking for when I pushed my weights out this week. One massive concern I would have with Chapel is he pulled out of the tournament last week at the Mexico Open. Now, do we know why? Just, um, well, I didn't see anything about injury or anything like that. I don't. It's just been, you know, he drinks sink water or something. Isn't that pretty bad down there? Yeah, I don't. I don't necessarily want to be misquoted here, so I, I would look this up for anybody that is thinking about this. I wanted to say it was his back, but I could be wrong on that. We could probably field a back concern lineup this week, too, if anybody wants that narrative. I know C is a big narrative guy, so you could certainly start off with Paul Casey and then Jason uh, Day. Kevin Chappell and Jason Day, Webb, I guess, neck and back. You know, it all goes together. Yeah, we could get a very volatile lineup of guys that could keel over at any time. That's the only problem I have with Chappell. Um, I mean, I think at 6,700, you certainly could at least consider him. He's going to be a volatile golfer, but... I have positive equity on the 6,700 number. So it's not as if you can't play him. And I think as a top 40, then, I mean, like when I look at it for safety, 
he jumps up in my model a little bit, which I don't know how safe a guy actually is with an injury that probably like reduces that a little bit. And then I didn't really have any take on Sergio. I like him. My model likes him fine. I wasn't jumping to try to play him this week, but I'm not necessarily saying to fade him either. Like when we think of ball strikers and guys that could get a big boost at a course where putting doesn't matter. I mean, isn't that the Sergio Garcia template for success? Absolutely. But yeah, something just doesn't feel right. Like, Finau last week, and maybe it was because the field last week, like we knew Finau was easily the second best player in that field. And this field's a little bit stronger. I'd actually, I'd say significantly stronger. It's a lot of mid upper tier golfers that, you know, usually we see at much higher prices in the outright market than we do this week. But I don't know. Some about Sergio leaves much to be desired, but I did have value on that ticket at even money. I did not punch it yet. And I don't think I will based on what you're talking about. Maybe I'll just go outright on Sergio. He just goes apeshit or he doesn't do anything at all. I've never had success with Sergio when I've played him. The one downside is what ended up making him, I guess, not as great on my model is that on weighted proximity from 150 yards and over, and this is through a two-year sample size as always, 74th in my model. So um, if he's not hitting greens in regulation, which, I mean, he's 14th overall from a two-year perspective, there's really no reason to believe that he wouldn't be, but... Uh, at least that number provides some sort of concern if the irons go a little haywire. Agreed. All right. My last two plays for the week would be Doug Gim, top 40, plus 130 DraftKings, plus 110 FanDuel, plus 105 points bet. Of all the plays I've mentioned so far, the highest level of safety concerns will probably come from Doug Gim, just because every time I've ever mentioned him on this show, I don't think it's ever worked out one time for me before, but man, I really like Doug Gim this weekend. Before we started the show, I was just very quickly going through some of the offshore prices on him, uh, whether that be from an outright or from a head-to-head perspective. He is a massive favorite against every single person he's matched against. He is as low as 39-1 to on Bookmaker, which makes me feel good about the outright ticket I have on him. I know these firm and fast tests have never been conducive for his game. But he also might be the most likely person of this group of that I've mentioned to put everything together and win this tournament. That doesn't necessarily help us for a top 40 wager, but I have 30 points of value on Gim there. And then the last player that I will talk about is Brendan Steele, top 40. That is plus 140 on DraftKings, plus 135 on FanDuel, plus 130 on points bet. For whatever it is worth, he, him and Cameron Davis are the two names that I pulled off of my outright card to put Keith Mitchell in there so it would work. So if you're wondering, I did like Steele. I did like Cameron Davis. I didn't end up getting there, but uh, I I like Steele this week. We've talked about him a little bit, Nick, but uh, general thoughts on Steele? Steele scares me a little bit, but he is really good out of bunkers. Good. I don't know. I don't even know what I like about him. He's pretty high up in my model too. Not super high up, but like within playing range. Where's he at? Yeah. 39th. I don't know. His iron play doesn't impress me. Yeah. His iron, iron game doesn't impress me. He's certainly accurate off the tee. That's cool. Um, Good sand save, good scramble. So I could see him managing his way to the cut here, but I, I don't know. I don't, I don't like him. Of everything that I've put in, he is my least favorite play of the group. And that's you one got of the a good price. I don't hate that. And I love the game Reaper just because he's the game Reaper. But yes, Steele definitely scares me more than anybody you mentioned. I love every other play. I think Martin Laird, I, I there's a thing about Martin Laird. I just don't like looking at him on DraftKings as a picture <laughs> they have for him. He looks so old and it's like, ah, this guy's <laughs> like a senior tour guy coming down. Like, no, he plays all year long and he's playing good this year too. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Steele, not for me. Knock on wood for Laird, but anytime I've ever played Laird, I have had success doing so. So uh, lock him in, lock him uh, in. You heard it. I feel like that's putting the jinx on it when I just said <laughs> it. I did knock on my desk. I probably didn't do it loud enough for everybody to hear, but uh, I agree with you on the steel thing. Like you kind of talked me out of him and I can't unfortunately remove the top 40 bet that I already have in. Maybe you can, you know, make your own assessment if you're trying to figure out that situation out there listening to the show. I didn't have the outright ticket on him. That's the one I ended up removing, but that would be Steel, Gim, Glover, Laird, and Domin for me in the placement market. That's about as team no putt as you can find. <laughs> Did we miss any players that you wanted to discuss further before we get into outrights? Nope, that is it. 
All right, we need to change up the order here in the outright section. It might be time to move our power hitter to the front. So let's hear what you have for your outright bets this week. And by the way, before you give those, I don't know where all these baseball analogies are coming from me today. Like I was telling you last week off air, I haven't watched the sport in 10 years. And now all of a sudden I'm Harry Carey trying to give all these <laughs> examples, but uh, the floor is yours, Nick. Yeah, no problem. I'm going to lead it off with Sepp Strack, a 65 to one fan duel. Um, I've talked about him plenty. I do think there's tons of volatility there. And again, the DFS situation we're probably going to go to with a, a chalky Sepp um, really pushed me into that because I'm probably going to go underweight if not, not play him. Um, so I'm a little torn there, but yeah, Sepp Strack is 65 to one on fan duel. Uh, the first one I will give, and I will get rid of the elephant of the room here. Webb Simpson, 50 to 1. That is on DraftKings. Some of us on this show might think he should be minus 200 to win this event. Others are probably more in that 3 to 1 range, but we can both agree Webb is a stud, right? I would agree that you are better off taking cashing out that ticket at even money and donating it to charity for a tax write-off. And to donate to charity, I don't want to say like, hey, it's just a tax write-off. Like obviously there's great causes out there. Pull the audience and see what you should donate to instead of donating your money to the sports books who have plenty of money on wasting a ticket on Webb Simpson, Mr. No Upside himself. That is just a shocking answer from you right now, Nick. <laughs> you have to think though, like 50 to one is at least it's a good price. It's a good price. I agree. <laughs> All, right, who's All jokes second? aside, it's still burning money, but it is a good price. Probably uh, so. I would probably agree with you there, but I do think it's a good number. I was torn between Keegan at 34 to one and Abe answer at 35 to one. I'm going with Abe answer 35 to one on DraftKings. I think he is through this show progressing in kind of my last hour research. I think he's, Arguably my favorite play on the board. I know I love Corey Connors. Everybody's going to love Corey Connors. You have good reason to love Corey Connors. As Spencer said, it's probably good chalk. A lock in cash games, absolutely, if you're a golf cash game guy. But Abe Answer is really flying up my board late, and I love that price of 35-1. to 1. Yeah, I will just double down here very quickly. I also have Abraham Answer 35-1. to 1. I, you know, I'm obviously playing the hurt narrative and past results for both Simpson and Answer here. But it kind of goes together, which is a good time to bring it up. I believe both of them would have been 10 points lower if we had better form. And outright betting allows you to take some more shots on volatile players. And to me, that's what I'm doing. I mean, like if Nick's correct that Webb doesn't have the upside that I believe he does, then you're burning money down the drain. But my model believes Webb Simpson does have that upside. He also They also think that like he should be winning every single golf tournament. But Abraham answer at 35 to one carries that exact same narrative, yep. uh, at least in my model of what I'm trying to look for. Yeah, definitely. I'm with it. All right. All right next. Nick, oh, you want next? me to go? All yeah, right. You go uh, next. I like Fino at 25 to one. If it's a course that is strictly T to green and that's what I think and putting doesn't matter. Tony Fino is that player. Also, you know, Sergio Garcia, I guess is that player too. We talked about him, but yeah, I like Fino a ton at 25 to one. I figured he was going to be, I have him priced at 19 to one. If I were to open it, maybe go 20 to one at the longest, but 25 to one, I'm going to take that five points of value and run it. I saw Fino five minutes before we were coming on air, getting steamed uh, quite a bit. So he had moved, he had drifted a little bit at these offshore books and now he seems to be getting bet by somebody. So maybe it was you. I don't know who the person was, but I saw the number dropping more into uh, that 24, 25 to one range for him. So um, I, I don't know. I went with a different player instead in that range. But yeah, I mean, I think that's probably the best way to play Finau this week if you are trying to get exposure to him. Yeah, I have one more left, but what's uh, what'd you go with instead of Finau? Uh, instead of Finau, and this isn't necessarily talking about win equity galore here, but Russell Fitz. Henley, 32 oh, Henley, to one yeah. on okay. FanDuel. I like that. I feel like it's a situation where his past transgressions are following him in the futures market. I thought 27 to one was proper for him. If we move the narrative or remove the narrative, sorry, of him not being able to get across the finish line. Um, I just, he's probably, and I know he's going to be 17% owned on DraftKings, but he's probably the best combination of safety and upside that I have. Like I really like starting lineups with him at 9,300 and I do think he has a little bit more upside than meets the eye here. Yeah, I like it. And he's a guy, you know, if 
if there's a couple of elite ball strikers that are hanging in there Sunday, I do like Henley's ability to kind of push away with the putter too. So that's what I talked about in the beginning of the show. When I have situations like that, where it's player X, player Y, um, uh, Henley's probably going to win that argument every single time I have it with myself. So I, I like that ticket. That's I know he doesn't really, I, I mean, he's got win equity. He's been there many he's times won. and yeah. yeah. And he's also crumbled many times, like on the last couple of holes on Sunday and get second or third. Like, so he's, he's got a ton of upside. I like that ticket. I'm just trying to find guys that I think that are good ball strikers that are going to be accurate off the tee. And as you said, Nick, if you can get hot with the putter, that might be something that a lot of these guys that I'm not looking at this week. Um, you know, I seem to be going the no putt narrative, but Henley is a good putter that can get hot, but round it out for us. Uh, your card. What is your final wager? Yeah, it's probably one that you have to Lucas Glover, 120 to one on FanDuel. I'll let you talk about him. And if you got any others. Uh, no, I mean, I do have others. Uh, the Lucas Glover, I think that's one of the better values on the board. I'll combine that with Martin Laird, 130 to one. Um, I just think those are two guys that make a lot of sense. Like to me, Martin Laird should be 65 to one. That's a massive difference. I realize that when I say that, and Lucas Glover should probably be, I don't know, in the 80 to 85 to one range. Uh, I think at 120 to one, it makes a lot of sense there. I took Keith Mitchell at 55 to one on FanDuel. We'll see. I just went for the upside there. That's where I ended up removing Cameron Davis and Brendan Steele there. I took Doug Gim at 70 to one on FanDuel and then Brian Harmon 65 to one on either FanDuel or DraftKings. Uh, for those that are keeping count, yes, that is eight outrights. That is about as many as you'll ever see for me. The plus, or I'm sorry, the 1.20 units in total is about as much as you'll ever see for me also. But I'm betting to win between 7.8 and 13 units. By the way, the 13 unit win is the Martin Laird ticket. I put one tenth of a unit there to win 13 units. Um, I probably won't be in tournament betting this. I'm fine taking my shots pre-tournament because I do think I have an edge there on a lot of the players. But anything else, man, before we let everyone get out of here? Uh, what'd you have Sergio priced at? I did find a little bit of value on the 50 to one on FanDuel. Haven't punched it yet, but I think I'm probably going to, and I'll probably regret it. I think I could throw that into the donation with Webb Simpson. I have Sergio Garcia. I had him at 42. I have him at 45. Okay. So a little bit of value there at 50 to one, but yeah, I don't know. There's again, much to be desired when taking a Sergio outright ticket these days. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I don't think there's anybody else that I want to talk about. I mean, I'm very quickly scrolling through my list of names. Like if Joel Dahman beats me, I'll let him beat me at this point, even though my model seems to like him. And that's what I originally was going to do with Keith Mitchell. And then I kind of flipped that script last minute with it. But yeah, that's probably it for me, man. Let everyone know where they can follow you. At Sticks Picks, S-T-I-X-P-I-C-K-S. And thank you to everybody for tuning in. We greatly appreciate it. Good luck this week. Yeah, as Nick said, you can follow him at Sticks Picks. I am on Twitter at Tee Sports. The two of us can be found together at Better Golf Pod. If you have any questions about the tournament or any tournament in general, please feel free to reach out to one of us at those handles. Good luck this week to everyone wagering money on the Wells Fargo Championship. And we will see you guys back here next week.